Norman Lebrecht is one of the most widely read modern commentators on music, culture, and politics. He's based in London. He is the author of 12 or 13 books, depending on how you count. There's one on the way. His brand new book is called The Life and Death of Classical Music. And as usual with you, Norman Lebrecht, it's a most provocative title. Well, I, I suppose if people want to get provoked by it, they will. It, it wasn't actually intended provocatively. It's descriptive. It, it describes a process of how over a 100 years we have enjoyed the process of recording. We've enjoyed the idea of the record and how now it has come to an end. So it's a rise and fall. It's um, uh, like all rise and fall stories. It contains um, elements of, of, of creation and elements of decline. Um, at some points, it, it, it's practically a romantic comedy. I'm lining up Renee's well. For a couple of parts. You'd sell a lot of uh, tickets if you did that. <laughs> Among your other titles are The Maestro Myth and my favorite title, Who Killed Classical Music? So let me ask you right now, as of this conversation today, what is right about classical music? Well, let me tell you, first of all, that Who Killed Classical Music wasn't my title. It okay. was imposed by the publisher at Never the time. Never mind, it's a good title. And I got, I got the most tremendous shock when I came to the States and I saw it. And on the spine it said, Who Killed Classical Music? And underneath, Norman Lebrecht. <laughs> This is your chance to defend that if you want to. But exactly. What is good in classical music at yes. the moment? Do you know, I haven't seen uh, as much young talent around at, at any time in my life uh, as there is now. There is a most prodigious new generation of conductors in their 20s and early 30s. Uh, it, it, it's just hopping and popping and peppering with talent. We're watching the development in China of not just a new generation of musicians or, 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 or if you like, a new nation of musicians, but a new style of interpretation. That's tremendously exciting. We are seeing uh, some really fabulous new compositions coming out. I saw John Adams' new opera, The Flowering Tree, in Vienna last November. I was practically out of my seat for the whole performance with excitement at it. There is the tremendous activity going on in music. There is tremendous rebirth. There is tremendous regeneration. And the tragedy is that the media by which we are used to, 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 to conveying these excitements are one by one dying off. Firstly, uh, we, we lost our foothold in the general media. You will never see classical music on television in the United States. You will hardly see it, see it anymore in most countries in Europe. Um, it, it, it still exists uh, to an extent on radio. Its space in the general daily press is shrinking. And now the record industry, which was its main shop window, is, has, has gone into steepling decline. A dozen years ago, six major international record groups were producing 700 new classical recordings a year. Today, there are two groups left, Deutsche Gramm von Decker on one hand, EMI on the other hand. They're producing fewer than 100 records, of which half are crossover or movie tracks or, or um, good-looking young people who have never been trained to sing but pretend to do so. And the, the means of dissemination of musical invention and musical talent have now shrunk to a pinhead. And that, for me, is something akin to a tragedy. And, and I just, you know, I, it may be that I use provocative titles and it may, be, it may be that I use sometimes extreme terms, but what I'm trying to do is to attract attention to this art that is, is so fertile and so exciting and so important to the development of human civilization. Have, having read a number of your books, my idea of your premise is that in the recording industry, at least, the decision makers have become people who were not themselves consumers of classical music. Absolutely and, right. And, and it, it, it is no longer mission-driven, it's money-driven. Absolutely right. It's also no longer uh, product-driven in the way that it used to be. Uh, recording was always a cottage industry. It was... It was uh, 
a few people living above a shop who knew the reason why every record was made, who had an intimate relationship with the artists that they believed in, and who through a very, very intensive editorial process decided that this particular performance of the Hammerklavier was the right one to bring out in 1954 or whenever it had had to be. Uh, It was always a small business, a cottage industry, until um, as it went into decline in the 1970s, it started to agglomerate. And then uh, in the 1980s, the giant corporations took over, subsidiarized it, pushed it into a corner, reduced it to the point where where it amounted to less than 2% of turnover, and then had no difficulty at all in switching off the light. A colleague of mine many years ago heard you speak at a at a conference of classical music broadcasters, and I wasn't there. I didn't hear what you had to say, but there was a lot of wringing of hands and gnashing of teeth, apparently, after your remarks there. Um, would you agree that the classical music radio industry is in a state of peril? In the United States? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and not just physical peril, moral peril as well. At that conference in Atlanta, Georgia... Yes. I was talking about the need for excellence. Somebody in the audience jumped up and said, you can't say that, that's elitist. I said, elitism is exactly what we are about. We, 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 we are in the business of discriminating between the good and the best. And it's the best that we should be after, at which point he called me a fascist. Um, art is about human aspiration. If we cannot, in art, always aspire for the very, very best, then we might as well give up and go back to painting fences. Um, It's those kind of qualities, the dumbing down, the political correctness, the the feeling that you need to appeal to to, um, the lowest possible denominator that is ruining the presence on radio as everywhere else. And some of us are, are some of us are kicking and screaming. I do. Oh, I, no, I know, I know, I know, I know, and I, and, and I think you know we, we we need to spend every waking minute doing that. We need to kick, we need to scream, and we need to to make the world aware, in some way or other, um, of the absolute vital importance of of the transcendence that you can get at experiencing a musical moment. It creeps up on you unawares. You don't know when it's going to come. You may be sitting in a work that you've never heard before. You may be sitting in something that you've heard 20 times before. And then suddenly a phrase, a turn, awakens you in much the same way as you're awakened when at 19 years old you fall in love. You know, I got into a lot of trouble here with my uh, the local authorities here about 10 years ago when the Columbus, Ohio Symphony brought in Charlotte Church for a fundraiser oh my God. and into a hall where Maria Callas had performed and Rachmaninoff had performed. And, and I just – this is a, a sophisticated audience, really. This really is a very fine place mm. for music lovers. And the idea of Charlotte Church on that stage really upset, provoked me a lot. And I got into a lot of trouble for things I said on the air about that. They were decent, but they were emphatic that this was a a sham, a joke. And she sold out the house. They made a lot of money. Um, And I'm just worried. Now, there's somebody that you mentioned called Mylene Class. (laughs) Now, she I have never heard of her. And for all I know, she's a marvelously gifted artist. On her website, she's quite lovely to look at. What's this stuff about? Well, it, it's the same stuff as what Charlotte Church was about. Charlotte Church was a sweet little kid in a Welsh village who'd been, who'd been taught a little bit to sing by, by her aunt. And, and she started off singing anthems and arias, and it was really quite sweet. And they built her up into the next classical star. And after two albums, she said, I don't want to do this. I want to do pop, and I want to sleep with a rugby player. And, and I want to be a celebrity, and that's what she is. And there has been a whole run of them. She at least had a voice. 
she had been taught at least the elements, the, 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 the rudiments of breast control. Um, but we're now seeing others, Andrea Bocelli, we're seeing um, Russell Watts and a whole host of them, Il Divo, a whole host of them who've had hardly any medical, any musical training at all um, and, and who cannot sustain a musical line. It is positively wearing on the ear. Mylene Class was won a pop contest to appear in a one of these manufactured um, uh, girl bands called Hearsay. It lasted for a couple of albums. It folded. She's looking for a new career. EMI Classics have signed her up as a pianist. Now, I wish I could believe that, um, that, that some producer from EMI had been wandering beneath her window and heard a sound that he recognized as being quite extraordinary and, and of the same caliber as Arthur Schnabel and, other, and Claudia Rauer and any of the other great pianists have appeared on that label. I somehow doubt it. I doubt it too. How do we fix this? Um, we fix it by... Um, because you know if you say that Charlotte Church doesn't have any talent and she's a nice little girl or my name class or Bocelli, uh, it's your fault, you know? I mean, if, yeah. you know, you, yeah. you are the elitist pig and you really shouldn't be working with the public. I've gotten that a lot. Yeah. We fix it by, by, by continuing to proclaim what we believe in, by, by trying to separate the real from the fake, by, by continuing to enthuse people, by presenting them with, with, with things that are potentially meaningful and memorable to them. And my book has just come out here in England. It's in the top 100 bestsellers, which is very nice. But I, uh, it's not going. That, I say it's very nice, not because it's going to make me a fortune. It isn't, but because all of the people who buy it and read it are going to be aware of the treasures that we have in this archive of a hundred years of recording. And we're moving on to something else. There will be a future. There is always a future. The tra- what, you know, if you'd have asked any musician to define music up until the death of Gustav Mahler, about 1911. They would have said, music is something insubstantial, it's intangible, you can't touch it, you can't put a finger on it, it's there in the air, and then it's gone. Then came the record, Mm. and with the record, music became concrete. And for a hundred years, we have this concrete object, and we have enjoyed it, and we have reveled in it, and we've, we've, we've formed relationships with it and around it, and, and these, these are the very whoop and weaves of our lives. And now, with the ending of the record, music returns to the ether. We will be continue to be receiving music. We will receive it largely from the internet, but we won't have it in concrete form. We won't be able to have and to hold. And well, you have compact discs. I mean, you do have a tangible... You continue to have to- compact discs, but not for very much longer, because the products yeah. that are being put out now are, are, are mostly uneconomic. They're mostly coming from small labels right. um, and are often very little more than vanity publishing. Uh, your new book, Life and Death of Classical Music, contains uh, masterpieces, 100 Milestones of the Recorded Century, which I notice you don't say they're my favorites or the best, but you do say they are the milestones of the no. industry. And more interestingly, the 20 recordings that should never have been made, among them performances by Richter, Rostropovich, Leonard Bernstein's Enigma Variations, Klemperer. Have uh, you heard it? Yeah. Have oh, you? no, I'm not, disagree- <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. I mean, I'm not- and, to me, and to me, the biggest tragedy of all, tragedy of all something that should have been fantastic, Gergiev's recording of the Vedi Requiem, yeah. uh, because it has Rene Fleming and Borodina and D'Arcangelo and a marvelous chorus and the Kirov, but it has Bocelli, God love him, who was the reason the set was made, I think we can 
agree. Uh, who was indeed the reason Seb is right. Uh, Gergiev said to his minders at, at Deco Records, I want to do a Verdi Requiem. They said, no way, you can't sell enough with that. Wait, hang on a minute. The only way you can do a Verdi Requiem is with Andrea Bocelli. And he agreed to it. And uh, yeah. it, sold, it sold something like 75,000 copies, which... Which is which is pretty reasonable for a classical record. In fact, it's extremely good for a classical record, but it's appalling. Yeah. It, is, it is it is utterly unlistenable. But uh, if you but say it's if, appalling, you get looks. I mean, well, you do. But, but just listen, just listen to it. Oh, I use, know. Use use you ask people to use their innocent, untrained ears to listen to it, and ask them to listen for him stretching for a note and not getting there. Ask them to listen for him breathing at a place where Verdi never intended any human to breathe. Uh, ask him to, 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 to ask them to, to, to hear the way he breaks up lines and renders the music meaningless, and then say, why was this record ever made? And if it was the only one of its kind, one would say, well, it's forgivable, it's a museum piece, but it isn't. There are dozens like that. There are dozens like that. That's what it, what it is right now, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one last question. Do you think as technology becomes more advanced, it's going to lead to a wider audience for classical music, or do you think that so much harm has been done by bad product that we really have to fight that? Bad product and lack of education. We right. can't ignore the social factors. Right. I mean, the, the, it's two generations since classical music was last taught in public schools in America. It's one generation since it was last taught systematically here in Britain. It's declining across Europe. We are in, in, in very, very serious trouble. There are, however, glimmers of hope. If You, you only have to look at Finland yes. to see what happens when people are taught to read and write and play music before they can read and write words. Finland, for the past 10 years has had, along with Singapore, the highest SATs results at 16 years old in maths and sciences of any country on earth. The musical training, the musical education, the musical discipline, the musical inspiration has produced brighter kids. And they start that in daycare. They start that with toddlers. I, I, Absolutely they do. Absolutely they do. Why can we not persuade politicians in the so-called civilized and advanced world that this is common sense? They're picking it up in China. There are uh, anything between 40 and 50 million children whose parents are paying for them to have private piano and violin lessons. So the proof is already there. This is, you know, this is a country where there are 800 million people earning less than a dollar a day. And, and of them, there are some who are paying for their kids to, to learn an instrument because they know that it will give them a better chance in life. They know that it will make them bigger and better and more sensitive human beings. I want to make sure everybody knows about your website, normanlebrecht.com. That's spelled L-E-B-R-E-C-H-T. One word, normanlebrecht.com. On that website, your weekly columns from the Evening Standard. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Also, your blog. Yeah. Um, um, I'm, I'm just glad that I don't work for the English National Opera, having read <laughs> what you've written about that. And I guess that you and I will not be invited to dinner by Mylene Class or Andrea Bocelli anytime soon. But again, normanlebrecht.com, uh, if you want some wonderful writing about the state of music today and what one can do about it, don't miss that website. I do thank you for your time very much. Christopher, it's a great pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much. Christopher Purdy with Norman Lebrecht, over and out.